you know, if ministry doesn't touch lives, what is it there for? If it's not helping people to pursue a relationship with God and pursue eternity, uh, then, then what's it there for? So I think any ministry involvement that I have where I can see it touching the life of an individual, that's a massive part of the motivation that keeps me going. Welcome to the Hacker Podcast. My name is Greg Hackathorn. I hope you all are doing well. Today we are joined by a very good friend of mine that is sure to be a blessing to you. Greg Wilmot is the youth pastor of the Pentecostals of Sydney. He is also the youth president of National Youth Ministries, which is part of the United Pentecostal Church of Australia, the youth department. He is a wonderful preacher with a passion for the things of God and the next generation. I always enjoy chatting with him about all kinds of stuff, everything from sports to politics to basically anything. We're very good friends. But I especially like to talk to him about the things of God. And I know you will enjoy this conversation. So without further ado, let's get to our conversation. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you, brother. Really appreciate the opportunity to be here with you. Great friend. And uh, who would have thought that we'd be here today uh, talking on a podcast? I certainly never saw it coming. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, and also via Zoom, even though we live in the same city. Yeah. I've become an expert on Zoom, though. So um, you've caught me at a good time. I can imagine being a uh, salesperson in the corporate world. <laughs> You're just living yeah, on that's Zoom. It. That's right. Absolutely, brother. But no, great to be here. Well, you've had a uh, pretty solid week. You were licking your wounds after the first two Origin games. New South Wales getting it done, you dirty Queenslander. You've had a great last week with you guys sneaking out game three and then getting the Olympics. Who would have thought? Brisbane Olympics 2032. Well, I, I must say that uh, for the listeners that aren't aware, I actually messaged Brother Greg about, uh, about two weeks ago saying there's a word on the street that Queensland's getting the Olympics and he categorically denied it and so when I saw the official statement I, I could not send it fast enough so that was enjoyable for me <laughs> I said there, <laughs> there is zero chance it's going to Brisbane and then you sent me the the thing last night I was like this cannot be true <laughs> <laughs> so uh, no it's going to be great I'll certainly be up there and you know I'm sure it's going to be a great time and nice warm weather and I also think there's probably a good opportunity for Brisbane to be the capital city following the Olympics so stay posted on that, it's going to be very exciting. <laughs> yeah, call me a hypocrite but I will definitely be up there as well, no way I'm missing that, <laughs> for sure. For sure. Well we highlighted a bit that you are from Queensland, you're from Brisbane and I just wanted the listeners to get to know a bit about your story, about your background. I like to start out these conversations with the guests talking a, a little bit about where they come from and just so people have an idea of, of you know, the sort of worldview that they're bringing to the table. Yeah, for sure, brother. Well, uh, as you alluded to, I originally am from Queensland. I grew up in, in basically two parts of Queensland. Uh, fortunately, my parents separated when I was very, very young, uh, only a few weeks old. And following that, my father uh, settled down in the Sunshine Coast, uh, which is about an hour's drive from Brisbane. Uh, my mother was in, was in the capital city in Brisbane. Uh, so for the first sort of 18 years of my life, you know, I was essentially living between uh, Brisbane and Sunshine Coast. I went to school in Brisbane, both primary school and high school, uh, but would travel to the Sunshine Coast on the weekends. So I felt like I kind of lived on a freeway uh, mm -hmm. growing up. And, you know, even though uh, obviously parents not being together wasn't ideal, you know, they're both very supportive and, uh, you know, maintained a good relationship with them. Uh, but yeah, so, you know, I grew up... Uh, essentially with my mother and, th and and two sisters at home with me. Two older sisters went through, you know, schooling, primary school uh, and high school there. Always extraordinarily active, involved in sports, which we may discuss a little bit later. Um, but I really enjoyed, you know, growing up in a beautiful part of the world up there. Obviously, and again, I'm sure we will discuss this, I was never really exposed to church or the things of God growing up. Hmm. And uh, so essentially... My formative years were sort of absent faith, absent the house of God, absent church, but but certainly very, very busy, very actively involved in sports and music and academia. And so, um, yeah, I suppose 
you know, in summary, it was an active, busy upbringing, um, uh, traveling essentially across Southeast Queensland between my parents. So yeah, mm. I suppose that's probably what I'd say. So your dad, what did your dad do for work? I think you, I think you told me he was a principal. Yeah, my father was a was a was a principal of uh, Caboolture High School. Uh, it's a high school sort of halfway between Sunshine Coast and Brisbane. Uh, and my mother, she was after my parents separated, she uh, put herself through university. Oh wow! Uh, w- while working a job, uh, and she eventually secured a job at Griffith University. So, uh, you know, she had an extraordinarily busy. You know, 15, 20 years of raising three children uh, while working on her own, no support essentially. Wow. So, yeah, that's, you know, my parents, uh, you know, both worked full time, both educated people. But yeah, they, I suppose in that regard, they set a good example in, in terms yeah. of education and, and working. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like education is a, a big deal in, in your family. It is, you know, um, and I think it's a bit of a double-edged sword. I think education is really, really important. It's powerful um, and I think potentially dangerous if it's not channeled in, in healthy directions. And, you know, I, I always, you know, in my involvement with young people, encourage them to pursue education, uh, but to do it with their eyes open, you know, right. for sure. But as it relates to, you know, my family and expectations around study and, and education, it, it certainly was a, a very important part of the family dynamic, absolutely. So you mentioned briefly um, that you mm-hmm. were really into sport. You're involved in sport. Mm-hmm. How successful were you on the sporting field? Because uh, I feel like this is uh, an important part of your story. For sure. Uh, well, I'll ca- I'll caveat this by saying it depends which sport you're talking about. Um, I <laughs> actually managed to. Fa- you? <laughs> yeah. Well, it gets worse than that. I actually managed to fail treading water of all oh, things. My yeah, in grade 11, I got a, a fail for treading water, which wasn't my finest hour. Uh, but no, typically any sports that didn't involve water was, you know, kind of what I was into. Um, growing up, uh, really athletics, rugby, soccer, cricket were the sports that, you know, I was really immersed in, essentially. And, you know, end of grade 12, uh, which is our final year of high school, I uh, was selected in the Australian Schoolboys rugby team, oh, wow. which was probably probably the highest um, honour in my schooling, sporting life. And then following that, played for Queensland Reds for a couple of games before I got the axe from the coach. (laughs) So for those who don't know what schoolboys is, can you explain that? What would would the equivalent of that be in some other sport? Yeah, so the way it worked was that uh, you were, uh, each state put together the, the, the best rugby team comprised of all of the rugby players in all of the schools. Uh, there would be a carnival uh, where, you know, essentially schools played off against each other. The winner of GPS competition would play the winner of various other uh, schooling systems. And from that, they would select the Queensland team, which is mm-hmm. a state team. And then there would be a national carnival where, you know, Queensland would play against New South Wales, various other states, and they'd, and they'd select an Australian team. Uh, from there, we actually played against New Zealand schoolboys, which um, for those that aren't aware, that's an extraordinarily strong rugby nation. And uh, we actually managed to beat them. Uh, we wow. were the first Australian team to do so in a number of years. Uh, we had a, an incredible team uh, with, with athletes that would actually end up being, you know, well-known household rugby players later in later on so it was a great experience for me uh something and something i really enjoyed for sure so in high school you represented your country playing rugby yes is that right okay yes i did and then you ended up playing somewhat professionally right with the because when you, you said the queensland reds that's a professional rugby team Yes, yeah, Queensland Reds is um, uh, the professional rugby team representing the state of Queensland. Uh, It it plays in a competition uh, with New Zealand and South Africa. And and so I actually, first year out of high school, was selected by Eddie Jones, who was the uh, coach of the Queensland Reds at the time, to come and trial. And uh, I still remember my debut match Uh, was a a pre-season game. And I was playing against actually a Japanese uh, rugby uh, union team, and I scored an intercept try for my very first touch, uh-huh. which was a which was a great moment oh, yeah, um, for, sure. for me. Uh, really exciting times, and um, just uh, before we we changed direction, I I find myself having to remind the young people at church of these stories because now that I'm a, 
a 33-year-old washed-up bald man, um, the young guys are a bit faster than me these days. So when they get a little bit too confident, I have to remind them of, you know, my formative years being a good athlete, you know, so. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Awesome. And you played with the, you played with some of the guys that ended up playing on the Wallabies over the last, I mean, maybe not so much now. There might be a few still there now, but the ones, say, maybe five years ago that were littering the Wallabies team, right? The Australian yeah. representative team. Yeah, that's correct, brother. So I was able to play with some of the names, uh, Quade Cooper and Will Genya, Christian Lee Lafanu, David Pocock, Kurtley Beale, some of these names that for those that are familiar with rugby may recognize. And, you know, as I said, it was, it was tremendous to see them in person and I could see what incredible athletes they were, even, you know, as, as 18, 19, 20 year olds. Uh, and it was nice to be able to tell my kids, you know, uh, in the future that I played with some of these people, even though they left me in their dust <laughs> shortly after, shortly after high school, but it was a tremendous memory for me to reflect upon, you know? Yeah. And obviously you had talent, but you can tell that to rise to a level like that, you need to have some sort of work work ethic. So that work ethic was established for you at a younger age? Yes, it was. Um, you know, I suppose relating more to my family, you know, I touched on sort of you know, academic expectations that, you know, my family had my, my father and my grandfather especially were, were very very active in sport my grandfather actually went to the same school that I did uh, he was a, a school captain there uh, he was the captain of the first 15 rugby team at that school and the captain of the first 11 cricket team oh, wow. he was you know I suppose your high school quarterback type yeah, um, he's the man. you know yeah and um, it was nice to see his name you know at the school and all of the you know the memorabilia plaques in the head office but you know that I suppose that set in motion uh, a culture of of a sport a sports focus and 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 work ethic and you know to your question brother uh, yeah there was always a focus on training and being diligent being on time doing uh, more than is required and yeah so that certainly was something that I picked up from a young age from them mm. so obviously uh, you weren't raised in church did you have any sort of religious background did you go to church at all or completely foreign to you yeah obviously i mean there may have been one or two occasions where distant relatives were christened or you know uh, but there was nothing ever frequently in place in terms of church attendance you know faith was never ever something that was respected or or spoken of really i recall one conversation i had with my grandfather and I love him, you know, I'm not here to bash anybody grateful for all of my family and, and many of the wonderful things they invested in, into me. But this one particular conversation, I remember I was driving home, he was driving me home. And I still remember to this day, he, he actually tried to tell me that belief in God was no different to belief in the tooth fairy. Oh, wow. <laughs> and that it, it baffles him as to how people that, you know, are, are intelligent could ever believe in God. And I would have been not even 10. And I still remember that conversation. Wow, where, you were 10. Yeah. I, and I still remember to this day that conversation where, you know, he conflated those two things and uh, it stuck with me, you know, certainly now as I've been a person uh, with faith. Mm. So is would you consider it a atheistic upbringing or more agnostic as in, you know, just didn't really consider it or actively against the idea of God? Yeah, that they were the atheists. Uh, oh, there's wow. a firm belief, firm belief that God doesn't exist. Now, I suppose one little caveat to that would be on my father's side, it was definitely firmer. You know, they were probably more aggressively anti-faith. My, my mother, I'll probably say potentially more agnostic. And I'm pleased to say in more recent years, she's actually attending a church and she's she believes in God now uh, of That's more awesome. recent years. But yeah, growing up, you know, it was largely God does not exist and belief in God is uh, to say that you don't have intelligence. Hmm. Yeah. So with the upbringing like that and also the success that you are experiencing on the sporting field and the direction your life was going, how in the world did you end up in a Pentecostal church? How did you <laughs> end up in that church in Brisbane all those years ago? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. And um, 
you know, when I look back at it, it's actually incredible that, you know, the, the belief system I had as an adolescent, I would somehow end up here in, in, you know, in faith and so involved in the work of God. It all began when I, when I, when I finished school, I didn't know what I wanted to study. So I, I took a gap year and I studied personal training. So I became a personal trainer. And with that, I got a job at Fitness First, which is a gym uh, up in Brisbane. And I remember I would have been there for a few months and there was a young lady, I won't mention her name. She got a job at the gym and, you know, I was a single man and I, I thought she was you know, quite attractive. And so I thought, yeah, yeah, I, I want to date her. So I got to know her. And, and as it turns out, she was, a, uh, you know, an avid Christian, you know, and I think that was one of the things that drew me to her. She was very respectful and, you know, presented well and she you know yeah just a lovely person and so as I got to know her it quickly became apparent to me that if I wanted to have any chance of dating this young lady I had to go to church <laughs> so um and so I still remember it was an, it was an April a Sunday in April in 2007 that I decided to go to church to prove to her that I was worthy of, of getting a date and uh so I put on my uh, best nightclub clothing that I had it may still have smelt like alcohol uh, because wow. I probably went out the night before and I went to that church. And what actually happened was, you know, fast forwarding six months, the relationship didn't work out. But in that time, I saw things that I never, ever thought I would see. I saw educated, intelligent people from varied backgrounds and cultures, all there worshiping God. Now, wow. immediately that was confounding because I was always told that if you're a smart person, there's no way you could have faith. Right. And so that was the first thing that challenged, you know, my perceptions um, was, was seeing people um, of varied backgrounds, varied educations, varied life experiences, all there worshiping the same God. That, and that was the first thing that got my attention. The second thing that got my attention was seeing how these intelligent people with a sane mind, was so moved by what was happening in there. And at that time I couldn't understand, but I would be looking around and I'd be seeing tears falling down people's faces. And I saw people that were honestly so impacted by what was taking place in that service and, and how they would respond to the preaching and the worship. And, and so all of these things were a massive culture shock for me. Uh, right. Just something I never thought even existed, let right. alone I would be part of, I would be part of that. And so with that, as, as I mentioned, the relationship didn't actually work out. And that's absolutely fine because I was able to meet my current wife. Uh, but I was left with those formative experiences in the house of God that absolutely reprogrammed my mind and my approach to faith and my and my respect for faith. And I gave it a chance and, and God got a hold of my heart. And I suppose I never looked back. Wow, that's amazing. So coming into that church and just being confronted with all of the things that maybe were left unspoken in your family or even talked against, seeing that take place. You mentioned someone educated, being moved by the Spirit and responding to the preached Word of God. That really hit home for you. It absolutely did. And, um, I, you know, this person won't mind me mentioning his name. He's still, you know, a great man involved. But there's a man that was in that church. His name was Brother Cameron Butcher. And, and he was one that stood out to me as, you know, he, he worshiped led in those early services and he preached and, and I knew that he was an educated person and he had a family and, and I saw him and I thought, okay, this person is so affected by what's happening here. I can see that he's sane. I can see that he's intelligent. I can see that he's lovely with people and it, and it rocked my worldview. And, and for those that may listen to this, I, I pray that it reaches people that aren't in faith. You know, being in the house of God for those that aren't raised in faith is a, a extraordinarily challenging experience because you are confronted with things that you've always been told didn't exist. I saw with my own eyes what the Spirit of God was doing to people in that place. And, and the types of people that were being affected by the presence of God. And, and immediately I knew that the version of reality that I was exposed to growing up was actually not true. Right. And, 
And it was in that moment that I said, I mean, at that stage, I had still not given myself to God. I hadn't been baptized. It's not spirit filled, hadn't repented. But the way I thought, the way I thought of faith was immediately sort of reversed and, and challenged. And, and that was a really powerful moment in my life in terms of, you know, changing course for my future. How long were you attending before you actually uh, had that salvation experience? Yes, yeah, so I was. I was actually baptized in. Uh, it was a Sunday in August, so that would have been around five months. So for a few months, I was sort of looking around, and I suppose being met with the reality of what it's all about. I still remember it would have been about two or three months in that I went to the altar for the first time, and it was it was such a hard thing for me to do. I felt uh, I felt a draw to the front. I felt a draw to the altar, and I was standing there, and then I. I actually, I just, I started walking down and, and I, and I let down and the moment I let down, I had a extraordinarily powerful release of emotion that I never knew was ever going to take place. And, you know, I wept and a brother of mine placed his hand and prayed for me. And I experienced something so powerful in that moment that I knew there is no way, absolutely no way that this is not real. And it was at that moment that I was, I, I said to myself, well, if this, if this is real and I have felt it for myself, I need to follow through. And so I explored baptism. Obviously I repented filled with the Holy ghost. So it was about four or five months, but there was a, a number of important steps that led up to that moment where God revealed himself to me in a powerful way that I could not ignore or deny. What a powerful story. So you, uh, started attending church you were part of the youth up there in brisbane you met a young lady down that lived down here in sydney and mm-hmm. somehow you uh, migrated down here <laughs> which we're grateful for but after you were born again at what point because you're actively involved in ministry now at what point did you feel that call uh, to go deeper in your walk with god beyond just attending and, and serving uh, week to week but to the point where you felt the call to preach, to minister the gospel. Did you have a moment or was this something that was more gradual? Yeah, it's a great question. And, you know, as I mentioned, the first sort of four or five months for me was really about just coming to an understanding of this is real. And and obviously, you know, repenting, being baptized, filled with the Holy Spirit. But not long after that, I'll be honest with you, I, you know, I, I felt a connection between some of the things that were naturally innate in me when I was in the world to bring that into the house of God. And, and I'll explain what I mean. When I was playing rugby and I've shared this to the young people, there was always something inside of me that I always felt uh, drawn to motivate the, the teammates beside me. And, and oftentimes uh, when the opposition scored a try, we were, behind, you know, we were standing behind the try line. I would just naturally try and fire up the team and, and motivate and encourage and lift them up when they were feeling mm-hmm. flat. And, and I remember when I was first given an opportunity to, to, to share a short word. I was asked to share for five minutes. I still remember this very clearly on a Wednesday night. You know, and there would have been probably 20 people in the church. And, and so I prepared, but I, I still remember as I stood there and I was and I was ministering, my mind was taken back to some of those times before I even knew God, where I was, you know, trying to motivate and inspire my teammates. And the Lord revealed to me at that time that, you know, he'll actually utilize some of the natural innate personality traits that he gave me for his glory. And, and as I was sharing and inspire, trying to inspire people in the house of God, it, the Lord showed me that connection. And I suppose, you know, and it's something I share to so many young people, which is that when people come out of the world into the house of God, yes, there are things that need to be removed and some things that need to be let go and some aspects of your lifestyle that you, you need to cut ties from. But there's actually, you know, intrinsic parts of your personality and some of innate talents and abilities that God will actually utilize for his glory. And so at that moment, the Lord revealed that to me that, yes, while many parts of me had to be released and let go in terms of my behaviors, fundamentally who I was was usable to God Mm. and and God could anoint. And that was a really powerful moment for me. And in that five minutes on that Wednesday night, 
I, I felt like the Lord said to me, this is something that I want you to do for the rest of your life. And so, you know, the years following, I have tried my best to continue to develop, but that was a powerful moment for me where the Lord revealed to me that he had, you know, that ministry for me in my future. So cool. And following along from that, is there any advice that you would give a young person or a young leader that is feeling the call to ministry, to uh, minister the gospel, to preach the gospel? Is there any advice that uh, you would give them, someone who's wanting to take that uh, next step to grow in their walk with God? Yeah, absolutely. A great question. Uh, the first thing I would say is that, you know, being transparent and open with, you know, their leader with regard to what they feel God has called them to. And the reason that's important is, you know, your pastor or your leader could potentially see things in your character, your personality that are important to work on. And and a good man of God would be honest with you, even if it hurts to hear. And I think we've all, right. <laughs> I think we've all had those honest conversations that weren't necessarily nice to hear but so important for us. But that's that's what's really, really important that you share that with, with your leader. I still remember uh, when I shared that with, with my pastor, Pastor Harvey, for about probably two years, I remember I would listen to his sermons on a Sunday and I would ask him to send his notes to me. And what I would do is, and I did this for a good couple of years, is I would carefully study the notes while he was preaching. And I learned kind of how he and his incredible style was able to flow in and out of his notes. And I would see when he was in his prepared notes and when he was out. And I, and I got a feel for how, you know, an anointed preacher is able to mix that perfect blend of preparation and God's anointing and find that sweet spot. And, you know, so as I, as I said, you know, you connect with your pastor, learn from him, you know, absorb from your leadership, and the final thing I'll say for a young person, especially that feels a call to God, a call to the ministry is, you know, you just got to remain, you've got to remain grounded. And, and this is especially important for people. I think that, that have natural ability and talent, you know, of course, when you're naturally gifted and talented, it's going to get the attention of man and people are going to want to utilize those natural abilities. But what I've actually learned is that incredible talent and ability, absent character and maturity, is actually a destructive force, uh, not a positive one. And so I think for people, regardless of their level of ability or natural talent, you know, questions of character and maturity are always so important to continue to focus on. Uh, because with that, it doesn't matter what doors will open for you, uh, it, it won't be a destructive force for your ministry. So true. To connect up with leadership and make sure that the calling that you feel that God is putting on your life. It's so important to have that validation that the the leader sees the same thing, that it's not just you seeking after something, but that the leader as well is seeing that in you, that you have that ability, that God is calling you to something greater than what you're being used in right now. Absolutely true. And I, I'll say one more thing, if it's okay, brother, which is, you know, since having children, you know, seeing the way your children behave and operate, giving them advice and watching, you know, their immaturities and their certain behavioral tendencies, you're able to obviously see tendencies in them that they just cannot see because of their lack of immaturity. And it kind of reminded me of, you know, some difficult conversations I've had with my pastor over the years where he was able to see things inside of me and point things out in me that I'd not even recognized before. And I, and I couldn't understand it. And, but, you know, with perfect hindsight, I have seen that in me. And so, again, I don't know who this is for, but if there's a young person out there and, and maybe you've, you've had some difficult conversations with your spiritual leader, um, you've got to trust it. Even if you don't understand it, trust it. And as you grow and mature, you'll actually see that it was actually probably what you needed to hear at that time. So uh, we've all been there before, but it's so important for young people to, to really receive from their leadership what, what, they're, what they're being told because... Again, they'll often see things that you can't see in yourself. So good. So good. So how long have you been, you're the youth pastor of the Pentecostals of Sydney, as well as the uh, youth president of the UPCA, United Pentecostal Church of Australia. How long have you been serving as the youth pastor 
of the POS? Well, we're in July of 2021, which would make it about seven and a half years now that I've been the, the youth pastor of, of the Pentecostals of Sydney. Mm. And it's been just a, you go. And you've been the youth president for how long? Uh, for five years, five and a half years. Yep. Wow. So you, you work with young people all the time. <laughs> yes, I do. Absolutely. At a local level, at a national level. And uh, it's, it's been a joy. Yep. What encourages you about this generation? So you minister to them week to week. You travel around Australia when you're allowed to, ministering to young people. And you've even ministered outside of Australia, New Zealand, Fiji, Philippines as well, I believe, uh, a few other places, ministering to young people in particular. So what encourages you about the generation that you see week to week in Sydney throughout Australia? That's a great question. And I would say this, that the thing that encourages me, regardless of whether it's Australia or young people abroad, is that in a generation when there are so many different distractions and so many different things that young people can pursue, there's still a body of young people that are hungry for God. And, and whether it be, you know, when we've shared some ministry experiences overseas, whether it be young people in the Philippines or even here in Australia, uh, there are young people still choosing God over all of the distractions, over all of the other avenues they can pursue. And, and, and that's encouraging to me because there are so many distractions. There are mm. so many ways that young people can get caught up in, 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 in pathways that aren't necessarily he um, healthy for them. But there is still a body of young people that are hungry for God. And the other thing I'll say in terms of what encourages me is just how creative young people are with how they connect uh, with the other young people. We had a small groups Bible study on, on Friday night. For those that aren't aware, we're in, we're in lockdown at the moment. And uh, we had had two sort of corporate services where it was streamed from the church. And so we thought it would be time to to do a small group Bible study. And so that's what we did. We had each of the committee members with a group of about eight to 10 young people. And at the end of that, we we fed back to the team how the studies went. And so I, I wrote back and said, yep, the Bible study went great. We opened in prayer. I did the Bible study. We closed in prayer. And then all the other groups had these, like they did Kahoot and they set up <laughs> online games and, you know, they did the study and they had like a point system. And I was just like, Number one, I felt like I was a dinosaur, <laughs> but number two, but number two, it just reminded me that, you know, one of the tremendous strengths of young people right now is that not only are they hungry for God, but they know how to connect to other young people in, in new ways that really weren't around that long ago. So that, that's another thing that really encourages me. Yeah. And further to what you're talking about with some of the challenges that they face, I think back to when I was growing up. As a young person, again, I'm not that old. Uh, we're around the same age. I'm 32. But when when I was in youth, I mean, these the things that I had that could trip me up absolutely pale in comparison to what this generation faces. I mean, we had uh, we were just getting out of dial-up internet. <laughs> you know, Google was just really growing at that time. Like we didn't have anything close to what they face. Facebook really didn't come into being until my junior, my year 11 in high school. So we didn't really even have social media. I think back then we had uh, MySpace. Did you guys do Bebo or what was it? Yeah, we had, I think MySpace was the first thing that I, I recall. But you are not talking to the right person regarding technology. <laughs> so I'm, I could be incorrect. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, there's stuff that they face and, and, and it's a, a two-edged sword, right? Uh, it cuts both ways. You're saying that they're able to still focus on the things of God despite the distractions. And then also they're able to use these same technologies that could be a massive challenge to them. They can use them to connect and to spread the gospel. So good. And yeah, I'm very encouraged about this generation and uh, what they're doing for the kingdom and how they continue to grow. But off the back of that, what do you think is the greatest challenge that they face, that this generation faces? I'm going to mention two, if it's all right, that come to mind immediately. And, and the first of which is, as you've alluded to, kind of closely connected to one of the strengths, which is distraction. When, when a lot of these other channels of communication aren't 
funneled in a constructive and healthy way, they can obviously become a distraction. And I, I've spoken anecdotally with, you know, a lot of young people, even since this lockdown, that have told me that, you know, they find it difficult to, to you know, sit through a sermon online. And it's not because necessarily they don't love God. You know, these are the young people that I see worshipping at church, some of the young people that are involved in our services at church. But I think, you know, with so many things yelling at them for attention, even on their devices, it, it's easily, it's easy to be distracted, you know. And I know even with my own children, when I remove the opportunity for distraction, I can get their attention. But the moment there are various things in that room that can distract them, they will be, you know, have divided attentions. And I think for some of our young people, that's a real struggle. You know, things like, you know, when you wake up and you've got a Bible on your bedside table and a phone, yeah, if that phone wasn't there, it would be much easier to open up your Bible. But because it is there, you know, it, it, it can be more difficult for young people to, you know, remain focused in, in some of the important spiritual disciplines important for their spiritual health. And the second challenge I want to mention, and, and again, I think this is potentially the most powerful, is just, just the opportunities for self-comparison and what that does to a young person. You know, when I grew up, again, through high school before social media, the only opportunities I really had for self-comparison were watching other athletes that were more gifted than me in person or when examination results came out and I saw other people achieving greater than me. But right now, our young people, any minute of any day, there are opportunities for self-comparison that make them feel inadequate. And, and I think that has added additional dimensions to to self-worth and for young people in this current generation compared to previous and 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 the, the sad thing about you know self-comparison in this space is that young people are really comparing themselves to something that's not real and mm. you know I've shared this and I won't elaborate too much but young people are comparing their real life with something that's not real other people's fake lives and when they're doing that over and over again, it, it just sets in motion unhealthy thinking patterns. And, and I see the consequences of that uh, for young people. And, you know, it robs them of their joy. Again, they, felt, they feel inadequate. And it's something that I see as a, a very troubling pattern uh, amongst young people in this generation. And it's a, a, mindset, a mindset shift that has to take place. You know, you and I, as you said, we, don't, we didn't face that challenge. The people that we compared ourselves to were the ones that we went to school with, the ones that were in such a small circle, whereas the young people nowadays, they're comparing themselves to people all over the world. I mean, I'm blown away uh, by TikTok and the way that it developed over the last few years. And there's this whole group of like the quote unquote cool kids on TikTok where they're all around these kids ages, they're 15, 16, 17, 18 years old. And it's like the super cool kids, right? You know, you had the cool kids in school. Now you have the cool kids of the internet. And uh, there's these comparisons that are taking place. And all you're seeing is the highlights of people's lives. It's so hard for us to uh, shift our mindset, especially for young people who have grown up in uh, a society that is saturated with social media, to understand that you're only seeing people's highlights you're not seeing their real life you're not going to school with this person so you don't see th their good days and their bad days all you're seeing is you know the great days or the if they if they're doing ads and in these sorts of things so it's so important that young people pray and ask god to help them help them to guard their mind help them to uh, renew their mind and think afresh when they approach social media and understand that the struggles that you're facing the kids that you are seeing on TikTok, the kids that you're seeing on Instagram, they're facing the exact same struggles, probably even worse because they're not filled with the Spirit of God. They're not in the house of God. They don't have a relationship with God like you do. And keep that in mind. Don't think that the people that you see online, that their lives are perfect. They're far from perfect. And I'm just going to elaborate on that really quick. Sorry to take so much of your time, but there was this couple... TikTok has this thing, it's, uh, it's on Instagram as well, but there are these like it couples that everyone follows and they say, oh, how cute they are and how great they are. And there's this couple that put out a whole lot of funny videos and it looked like they had a perfect relationship. And then out of nowhere, they released a video that they were separating. 
So the video before, they have this incredible relationship. It looks like they're having so much fun. They're this great relationship. And then the very next video is this really sad video where they're saying that they're separating as a couple. And people were commenting, I was like, is this a joke? Is this real? Because yeah. all they're seeing is these one minute, two minute clips of these people's lives, thinking that their life is perfect, not realizing that they're only doing that to push content out online. So their followers will see them and interact with them and they'll make money. I mean, that's how you make money nowadays. Yeah. You create content. It's true. And I'll just say that like that, that example you gave is just the perfect picture of, of exactly what this is, which is, it's, it's not always the reality. And for young people, I'm not, I'm not against, you know, these different forums, but, but I, I think it's important they go into it knowing what it is and what it isn't. And, and the way that they, they measure their life against what they're looking at is so critically important. You know, it, it is sad. You know, I think we've arrived at a time where, you know, I was saying to my wife recently, I don't want to derail this, but just the ability to enjoy a moment without other people having to see you enjoying that moment is gone. You know, like it, when I was 15, if I, if I was looking at a breathtaking sight, I would look at the breathtaking site and enjoy it for what it is. Right. Whereas I feel like now we've crossed that threshold where for young people, it's actually more important that other people see them enjoying something than them just enjoying it for what it is. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I think that that's, that's denying young people and denying, you know, all people of, of some of the rich aspects of, of the life we live. Yeah. So true. So true. I did want to get to this. I know you, you are the youth pastor at POS and the youth president, but I also wanted to get a bit of your perspective on a few other things uh, before we finish up this conversation. You're a bivocational minister, which means that you have a full-time job, career, and then also you work for the church uh, in, as the youth pastor, as one of the leaders within the church. And this has to be challenging, obviously, because your job is demanding. I know you do for work. You know, it's not just working at McDonald's and uh, getting that shift done, but you're, and not that there's anything uh, wrong with doing tasks like that, but when you're in a career and it's sort of all encompassing and you're traveling and doing the sorts of things that you do, and then also added on top of that is your responsibilities within the national work. What advice would you give to someone who is a bivocational leader? They don't have to be a minister per se, but a someone who wants to lead and and do work in the kingdom of God, but also has these other demands on their time. And in particular for Australians, the vast majority of our ministers are and pastors as well are bivocational, where they're still working full time jobs. What advice would you give? Uh, a great question, and you know. What you're saying is true. It can be it can be challenging for sure. We only have so much time available. You know, we've got spouses and children and, and our private life as well as career. And I would say uh, what I have learned is you need to have the security to delegate effectively. By that I mean having the right people on your team and being okay with not being across and in control of every aspect of what you're leading. And that's actually a hard thing for some people. Like, you know, you know me, uh, brother, but for those that don't, like I'm somebody that likes to be in control. And it was difficult for me to learn to not just bring people into your team to oversee certain aspects of the operation, uh, but to give them control and um, allow them to function independently of you sometimes. And so, so delegation is absolutely one of them. And, and the best example I've got of that is, you know, when I took over in 2000. And, uh, and, and, and 17, the National Youth Ministries, we had no one really overseeing our social media. And um, there's a young guy called Brother Daniel Morton Jones, and he's an absolute weapon, beast in terms of social media work. And he's so good. Yeah. He's incredible. And he's you know, revolutionized that department in so many ways. And had I have not had the security to, to allow him to have some autonomy in that work, then the incredible work that he's done would not have taken place. So it would have stifled his development, but also you know, the department as well. And so first piece of advice is do not be afraid to bring people into the team uh, to oversee certain aspects of, of the ministry and do not be afraid to lose control of every aspect of, of, that, of, the, of the ministry. And the second thing I'll say is that 
although it's good to bring people into your team, if you are the leader or if you're running something, you, you have to be organized. There's no way around it. And, and one of the most important reasons uh, you need to be organized is because when you're chasing your tail and you feel like you're, you know, you're, you're falling behind, it stifles creativity. I have found that, you know, when you're in survival mode in terms of just trying to keep your head above water, it doesn't yield an atmosphere that brings about your best work, you know, to be creative and to, to have fresh ideas, you've got to be organized because again, you know, survival mode is, is not the, not the best headspace for an effective and fresh and engaging ministry and department. Mm, so good. What drives you when it comes to ministry? What is the overarching? I like to ask this to everyone who's on the podcast what is your passion? What is it that drives you when it comes to your work in the kingdom of God? Uh, you know, obviously, um, the impact it has on people's individual lives. You know, I, I think, I think, you know, if ministry doesn't touch lives, what is it there for? If it's not helping people to pursue a relationship with God and pursue eternity, uh, then, then what's it there for? So I think any ministry involvement that I have, where I can see it touching the life of an individual, that's a massive part of the motivation that keeps me going. And so, again, you know, if anyone out there listening that's involved in a system type ministry or, you know, whenever you're struggling for motivation, remind yourself of examples of how it has impacted the life of, of an individual person. And, and that, I think, will, will prove to be a source of strength and motivation for you moving forward. So for me, it's absolutely feeling as though it's having an impact on individual people. And the other thing I'll say is this, that there's nothing like knowing that you're living in the will of God. Like that is that provides a, a source of peace and comfort and joy that nothing else can replace. And you mentioned earlier my career, I work in a corporate environment. I have lost count of the number of extraordinarily wealthy, successful human beings whose lives are a mess, who have got all sorts of dysfunction, depression, mental health issues, broken homes. And it's reminded me, it's reinforced in my mind that success, as the world defines it, doesn't actually give people true happiness. And so for a young person out there, oh, God bless you. If you want to study and pursue a career, I'm with you all the way, but never forget that that is always beneath your primary calling in the things of God. And that is actually the thing that gives you peace and joy and comfort, knowing that you're in the will of God. And that for me is what keeps me going because yet while I am involved in, in the secular workforce, that is a distant second to my involvement in the work of God. So you don't mess that order up guys. That's important, but they are brother, the things that give me encouragement and drive me day to day. I agree. It's also important well, it's also a positive if you're able to match up the two. You know, not every uh, single person is going to be called to uh, preach the gospel. Obviously, we're all called to make disciples. I'm talking about more so a pulpit ministry, especially one that's as effective as yours. So if they are pursuing a career, I'd encourage them to try and find something that will match up to the calling that God has on their life as well, as best as they can because then you have one feeding into the other. I agree wholeheartedly in, in that space. And, and again, you know, you know, for me, I'm involved in, you know, a corporate selling environment and, you know, many of the, the, you know, the, the various training modules that my workforce signs me up for, you know, it ties into my ability to connect as a, as a speaker. So absolutely agree. You look for opportunities for what you're doing in your secular life in your secular workforce to, be of benefit to your ministry. And I, I agree with you 100% there. I think that's a really important point. Well, I've really enjoyed this conversation. It's been a blessing to have you on. It's so good to have one of my friends on the podcast. In conclusion, I wanted to give you the opportunity uh, to share a word with the listeners. We've had this conversation. I've had uh, I've been sort of guiding you through it with different questions and prodding you in different areas, but I wanted to give you the opportunity to share whatever you believe you feel that God has laid on your heart for the listeners of this podcast. So I want to give you that chance to close out this conversation and share a word with our listeners here today. Thank you, brother. And I just want to say it's been a 
honoured to be here and I'm really excited for what you're doing here with this podcast. I can see it doing great things. And so congratulations and I'll be supporting it all the way. Uh, with regard to a word, I just want to share to the hearers kind of what the Lord's been doing in my life at the moment. You know, we're in a, in a situation right now where, you know, God, we've had services and events and, you know, church conferences and all of these wonderful things sort of taken away from us. And and it's frustrating for, for those of us that are so used to those as sources of fuel for our faith. And, and kind of what we have right now is having it all stripped back. And the Lord has shown me that this is an opportunity now for consecration, getting back into the word, going back to the pillars, uh, the foundational pillars. And, and I've had moments in the most recent weeks, in all honesty, which I feel has drawn me closer to the presence of God than I have been in the midst of some of our big church conferences. And so my word of encouragement to those out there, maybe in similar uh, seasons of, of isolation, is that take advantage of this and, and re let it be a reminder that the most important thing that we have is our individual relationship with God. The other thing I want to say is that it's heightened the importance of, of a family dynamic. Um, you know, I really respect you, Brother Greg, and, and your wife, Sister Stephanie. I see the, the family dynamic that you're creating and, and me and my young family as well. This season of isolation has kind of forced us to spend more time at home. It's kind of forced us to spend more time with our, with our families and our children. And I believe it's the will of God for his generation to find that perfect blend of involvement in the ministry and healthy families, healthy marriages and healthy relationships with our children. And so I want to encourage everybody out there listening to take this time right now to invest in your home, invest in your relationship with God, invest in your marriage, invest with your children. And I think that that's going to set us up for you know, longevity in the kingdom of God. We have seen so many talented and gifted people whose lives have crumbled because they've neglected important aspects of their life. But I feel if we can strip it all back to our relationship with God, to consecration, to having a prayer closet, to being back in the word and valuing our time with our families, we are protecting our immediate and long-term involvement in the work of God. So let this season right now of unprecedented times be a chance to strip it back and to invest in things that are most important. That was a great conversation with my friend. I hope you were able to get something out of it to help you on your journey. If this blessed you, please share it with a friend and encourage them to follow the podcast. We are on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, and a number of other platforms. Just search The Hacker Podcast and you should find us. We are releasing content every week, and the best way to keep in touch is to subscribe or follow the podcast so it goes directly into your podcast feed. If you have time to rate and review the show where you listen to it, I would greatly appreciate that. Thank you again for your time today, and we look forward to seeing you next time on The Hacker Podcast. Hacker Podcast.